Well, amen. Thank you all so much. It's great to be with you. It's been a couple years since I've been here at BASIC, and um, some of you might remember me, some of you may not. Um, I'm Pastor Brian. I am the senior pastor at Nazareth Evangelical Lutheran Church here in Cedar Falls. I have served in that capacity for almost 13 years. I've been in ministry for about 26 years. Um, My wife, Jen, and I um, actually met at Wartburg when we were sophomores in college. I sat behind her in Western Civ class, and she was the hot brunette that was sitting in front of me, just a few, a few, uh, few chairs in front. Over one day, I heard her talking to one of my fellow football players, and he was trying to find out if she was interested in anybody. And this is how arrogant I am. I'm sitting in the back, and I, I'm listening to the conversation. I shouldn't even hear it. And he says, well, let me, let me make some guesses, and will you give me yeses or noes if I guess right? And he says, yeah, whatever. And she, he says, is, is he six foot tall? And he, she said, yes. And I was like, okay. And then he said, does he have blonde hair? Yes. Okay. And then he said, you know, does, does he have blue eyes? Yes. Does he play football? Yes. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. I was an RA, so like the next night, I walked by a room to say hi. <laughs> so that's, 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 how, that's how cowardly I was. At any rate, it turns out it was a guy named Tim Sheely from Ackley. It wasn't even me. But at any rate, it all worked out. God arranged it. We got together. We ended up having four kids. Um, those are our four kids. The one leaning across is um, one of our twins that's 26 years old. He just got married last year. His name is Taylor. He is finishing up at Princeton Seminary and um, will be moving to downtown Minneapolis here pretty soon. Um, the one holding him is his brother, Nathan, who is a senior at Wartburg College right now in accounting. Um, the, our daughter, our youngest, 19 years old, is Grace, and she is at UNI, and she was in music education, but now she's changed, I think, to economics. I'm not sure. It's still a work in progress. We're figuring it out. It's all good. And then Justin is the other twin, and he lives in Mankato. He started at Wartburg, finished at St. Olaf, and is now a store manager in Mankato of Spectrum Communications. So that's our family, and um, they're pretty good people. I kind of love them. They're good. Good to be around. So, tonight, my whole purpose for being here is to talk to all of you about the fact that we are blessed to be a blessing. Say, blessed to be a blessing. Okay, there's a biblical rationale for that. If you go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, right out of the gate, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, God said to Abraham, I will bless you, and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. How cool is that? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine God speaking to you and saying, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all of the families of the earth will ultimately find blessing. It's a pretty awesome promise. From the very beginning, God sought to bless his people that they, that we, might be a blessing. This happens all through the Old Testament with the Hebrew people and the Israelites, and this carries on into the New Testament through you and through me and through those who follow Jesus. We are called to be a blessing. This is the true purpose of our life here on earth. One of the things that I think is really cool is that um, God speaks to us really in the same way that he spoke to Abraham. Um, he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. He, just, just as it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I have a purpose and a plan for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We get to be a part of what God is doing in the world around us. Now, I might be wrong, I might be naive, 
but I honestly believe that not a single person here wakes up in the morning and doesn't want to have a genuine desire to do good, to, to care for others, to, to, to bring joy to people's lives, to, to live peaceably with other people. You want to get along, right? You, you want to make a difference for the better. I think every single one of us, at our core, is wired that way. That's how we want to be. I don't think most people get up every morning with a desire to harm others, to spread hate or bigotry, to demean, to defame, to denigrate, to diminish other people. I don't think most people start their days off like that. Now for years now, the basic team has been starting off each year, each semester, with this idea of the bless paradigm. But where does it come from? Where, where do we get this idea of, of being blessed? Well, obviously it's biblical. Um, we get it from the Bible. But this paradigm, this acronym that we call BLESS is, is something that actually comes from something that happened in a missionary setting in Southeast Asia. Basically, there were two different groups of Christian missionaries who showed up in roughly the same mission field. We'll call the first group blessers. Their whole reason for being there was a model of accompaniment, of walking alongside the people that they moved in with, that they lived with, that they did life together with. So if you were that Christian missionary and you happen to be a doctor, you happen to be a lawyer or a dentist or, or, or an engineer or a farmer or an animal husbandry person, whatever, whatever your, your background was, your whole purpose was to just simply be a part of the community you found yourself in, live amongst your neighbors, share your gifts, and, and build relationship with the people around you. And that in so doing, you would earn the right. You would have the opportunity to share the hope you have in Jesus. That's the blessers. Another group shows up in the same mission field, same part of Southeast Asia, and they are, they are we'll, we'll call them the converters. Now they are equally passionate about Jesus, and, and, they, and they, want to, they want to go in to new communities and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They want to help people understand that the way they're living is on the wrong path, they need to get on the right path, and they need to follow Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and that's how they set out to win people for Christ. Which group do you think was most successful after about five years? Our blessers, not our converters. The blessers were like a hundred times more successful in actually winning converts to Christianity than were the overt converters. Even though they both had a love for Jesus, even though both lived in the same communities, the difference in their approach made all the difference in the outcomes. Let's unpack this idea of bless. What is this model actually about? So if we look up here, say begin with prayer. Say listen with care. Eat together. Serve with love. Share your story. Now these are beautiful because they're so simple. Um, even I can remember them, there's five of them. 
Um, and, and, and they're easy to translate into your own life. They're easy, in a way, to practice on a daily basis in an intentional way. They're practical. Anyone can do them. And, and it helps you, I believe, feel more comfortable and feel more confident when it comes to sharing your hope in and your faith in Jesus and your desire to share the life-changing gift that that knowledge can bring to you. Now let me ask you, why is a paradigm or a model like this so important? It's because the church, the Christian faith, has a reputation problem, don't we? Can I get an amen? We don't have a lot of street cred in the larger world right now. Um, a lot of people have really negative understandings of the church and of Christians in general. Many people are leaving the faith. Many people are hostile to the faith. Basically, sharing our faith as Christ followers has been stereotyped and caricatured to the point that many of us think that to share our faith with somebody who's not already a believer looks like knocking on strangers' doors and asking them, if you die tonight, do you know where you'll go? You know, and bold and invasive questions like that with no context for some people. And, and that's pretty off-putting, frankly. I, I mean, even, not only do non-Christians think that's a little weird and a little strange and a little arrogant, but I think a lot of people who are followers of Jesus would say, I would never do that. I don't even, I don't even feel comfortable when people talk like that or act like that. Why would you do that? In fact, I would argue these tactics are, are, are so negative that not surprisingly, a lot of us, when it comes to sharing our faith, we actually step back because we're so afraid of being like that or perceived to be like that, insensitive, uncaring, arrogant, judgmental, fill in the blank. So a lot of folks, maybe some of you, are choosing not to share their faith with their neighbors, with their classmates, with their peers, with their family, with their friends. And I think the problem is, the reason that a lot of people are turned off to Jesus has nothing to do with Jesus. I think that the mess of the messengers gets in the way of the message. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I think sometimes our stuff, our baggage, is what people trip over. It's not Jesus. It's not the love of God through Jesus Christ. It's our own stuff. It's our own baggage. It's our own insecurities that get in the way. Let's put it this way. When the gospel becomes bad news, you're living it wrong. <laughs> you're doing it wrong. You're sharing it wrong. That's why I want to encourage each of us tonight to use this acronym in a way that guides you in sharing your faith in a powerful, in a persuasive, in a life-giving way, in ways that actually bless other people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 invites followers of Jesus to always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands an accounting of the hope that is within you. In other words, when somebody says, well, why do you believe what you believe? You need to be ready to talk about that but here's the part that we sometimes forget. Do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. We don't have to get in somebody's face. We don't have to demean them or tell them that the way that they're living is wrong or evil. 
we just need to be able to share the hope that we have, how God, through Jesus, has changed our lives for the better and how that's meant. So how do we earn that right? How do, how do we get to that point? I want everybody to repeat after me. God wants to use me, God wants to, use me. to help others to see him. Okay, I believe God wants to use each of us to engage still others as we practice this concept of the blessed paradigm. God wants you to influence and impact people's lives all around you. Each of you are uniquely situated. Each of you are uniquely gifted to make a real positive difference in the people around you and to invite them into a deeper walk with Christ. God is inviting you to invite others to know that they're loved. God is inviting you to invite others to know that they're forgiven. God is inviting you to know, invite others to know that they're part of God's family and that they're free. Free from what? Free from the ultimate effects of sin and death and evil. That's pretty good news. That's a pretty good gift that you can give. God calls us to be blessers that bring people into life-giving, life-changing relationships with him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love because God first loved us. Because of this radical love, we get to bless others. Because of this radical love, we get to love them. We get to encourage them. We get to provide for them. We get to meet their needs and befriend them. And what a gift and blessing that is. Basically, God's evangelism plan from the very beginning was always to work through us, to work through his people, to, to work in natural, relational ways. I mean, that's one of the things I love about BASIC is that there's such an emphasis on building relationships. You guys are invited to be part of small groups. You're invited to um, do these radical opportunities that, like you're going to do tonight and handing out chicken sandwiches and, and serving people with no strings attached, just loving people in the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what we get to do. That's a wonderful opportunity. So with that in mind, I want to I kind of wrap up my time tonight, and I want to give you an example of this concept um, it's different for all of us in terms of how it would play out in our relationships and in your walk right now and in your life right now. Realizing that everybody's got their own story, I'm going to go back to when I was a 19-year-old sophomore at Wartburg College I, in 1990. I was a religion major, a history major, and we had something there called May Term. And May Term was just a one-month intensive class where you could do something on campus or you could work out off-campus class opportunities, or even independent studies. What I decided to do as somebody who grew up in a small town in central Illinois and went to a small college in north central Iowa is realize that, hey, if I was going to be a pastor, and I knew I was going to be, I wanted to be able to serve anywhere. I didn't want to just be able to serve small towns, rural, mid-America. I wanted to be able to serve inner city if that's where God called me to be. But I had no real touch point with that. I had no real experience. So I worked out an independent study, and what ended up happening is I got on a plane with $50 in my pocket and a duffel bag. I flew to Seattle, Washington. I got off the plane. I was met by the one person in Seattle I knew, a pastor named Dave Ellingson. He picked me up at the airport. He took me to his house. I spent the night at his house. The next day, he drove me downtown, Seattle, and he dropped me off. And I was going to have to live in Seattle on the street as a homeless person for a month with $50 in my pocket. Now, as you might imagine, <laughs> I needed to begin that journey with prayer. And I definitely did. 
Read that with me. Begin with prayer. I will pray for the people in my life and the places that I'm in. Now, I didn't know this paradigm at the time, but I knew that I needed to pray because I knew there was no way I was going to be able to do this by myself without God's help. I went there with the idea that I was going to live with people who were faced with the very real challenges of being on the street without any choice to be off of it. Now, here's, here's the caveat to all this. Remember, I was educated. My family loved me. I had resources. If things got really bad, if I got into an emergency situation, I was only ever a phone call away from help. Most people on the street do not have that luxury. So don't think for a minute that what I did was some amazing thing. I always had an out, not the people around me. But I began by praying. I began pray, praying for God to guide me, to, to, to put me in connection with people that needed to know that they were loved, to put me in the right place where, where I, I, could, I could be of help and, and bring, bring grace and bring hope to people. And, and, and God took me to Emmanuel Lutheran Church. This is a church that is about a half mile away from the Space Needle. And what, what that meant was I showed, up, I showed up on the doorstep there, and if you were there by 7 o'clock and you were one of the first 20 men to show up, and it was only men, um, you would go in, they would give you a little mat, there was an old gymnasium, and you would sleep on the floor overnight. And they would give you some food, um, probably a peanut butter sandwich. I still to this day have a taste for um, canned orange juice and stale Twix bars. Um, because for about two weeks, that's all I drank and all I ate was um, canned orange juice and stale Twix bars. And we'd sleep on the floor, and if we needed a shower, there was a hose down in, the, in, the, in kind of their mechanical room, and, and you would just take a cold shower there. And you had to be out of the building by 8 in the morning. And then you just had to hope that you could get back in there the next night. So for the first two weeks, that's where I stayed. But as I stayed there, I had a chance to... Listen, everybody read the next one. I will listen to and discover the needs of others and the places where God is at work. I had a chance to just be right next to people who were homeless and people who were struggling and people who had addictions, people who um, you know, had, had, had falling out with their families, people who were struggling, and I got to know them. I got to understand the things that they were wrestling with and the things that they were struggling with. And I had a whole different appreciation by sleeping with them, by showering in the same place they showered. There was an apartment at the church. I could have identified myself as a Warper College student and probably been invited to stay there. But it was important that I was with the people that I was there to, to serve and I believe love on. And as I listened to them, I ate with them. Read the next one. I will share meals and spend time with people in my life. And then after I had a chance to be there for several days, I got involved with... Um, helping to um, clean the place, helping to um, make sure that things were ready the next night um, for the guys that would be coming in. And I had a chance to serve and, and be an extension of that gift of grace in that place where people didn't have their own home to stay in. And that was a real gift, and that was a blessing for me. And as I kind of prayed with folks, listened to them, ate with them, served them, I then by the end of my time there, had a chance to learn their stories and share some of my story and talk about the hope that I had in Jesus. And there were connections that were made that I don't think ever would have been possible. There were people that would talk to me in that setting 
that had I come in as a Wartburg College student wanting to study them and spend a couple hours in the afternoon interviewing them or something, it would have been a totally different experience, a totally different relationship, and I don't think they would have confided in me, and frankly, I don't think they would have trusted me much, and frankly, I don't think they would have cared what I had to say about Jesus. But it was different when I lived with them, when I did life with them, when I spent time with them and invested in them. Right after that experience, I had a chance because I, I didn't make it in the one night, <laughs> and um, I had to find another place, and I found my way to some, a place called the Lutheran Compass Center in downtown, or what is known as the Skid Row of, of um, Seattle. And while I was there, I met a gentleman, I'm going to go to the next slide here, a pastor there named Nair Ernest. Nair was a part of a group called the Night Watch, and what Nair would do, him and other clergy, every Friday night, um, they would go to the red light district in Seattle, the place where most of the druggies were, most of the prostitutes were, a lot of high crime in that time, in that time back in 1990, and basically with their collars on so that they were identifiable as pastors, they would walk in groups of two, and they would just be available, just available to anybody on the street to come up to them and talk to them, ask help, whatever. And spending, the, spending a couple weeks with Nair, I had a chance to join him in these night wash walks. And I was amazed at the number of people that came up to him and would chat him up. And, and inevitably, some would ask him for money. And he'd reach into his pockets, and he always had money. And he'd give, if he had money and he had exactly what they asked for, he'd give them exactly what, he, what they asked for. And I remember asking him, I was like, well, why do you do that? They could use it for something else, and blah, blah, blah. And Nair you know, told me something that I've never forgotten. He said, hey... You know, as I read scripture, it doesn't say that our job's to judge people and whether they're going to use it for the right reasons or not. It basically says if you've got it to give, you give. And so I tried to do that and tried to live that out. And it's impacted my life. But what I noticed in all of that is that Nair and those pastors had a certain relationship with people on the street because they were there. They were there to pray with them. They were there to listen to them. They would sometimes have a meal with them if that's what they asked for and that's what they needed. And if they, need, could, if they could serve them in some way, they did. And always the opportunity to point to the hope that was in them through Jesus. That made an impression on me. The final story I'll share, and I'll wrap things up here pretty, pretty quick. These three little boys were playing the piano one of the last nights I happened to be at the Lutheran Compass Center. By that night, I had started to help in the food line and was serving food to the people that would come through. These kids came through with their parents, and they started, they went over to the piano immediately and started plunking around on the piano, and I asked if I could be excused and go over and hang out with the kids, and they let me, they let me leave the serving line and go over and hang out with the kids. And so I'm talking with them, and they're, they're, they're chatting and everything. We have a good time. They're laughing. They have some fun. I can't play anything, so we just all plunked around on the piano and made a lot of noise. And then the parents came over, and they got distracted, and they, they, the kids did something else. And the parents started talking to me. And, and then it came up why I was there and who I was and what I was there for. And then the parents shared something with me. They said, we've been living out of a car for the last month on the street. And we need to let you know these are not little boys. They're little girls. They're our daughters. And I was like, What? Why, why, why do you have them dressed like little boys? And they said, because we believe that they're less apt to be molested on the streets 
if they're little boys. And so we shave their heads and we dress them like little boys. Now, I only share that with you because I was so shocked as a 19-year-old to hear that. That was nothing that resonated or related to anything in my experience growing up in Muhammad, Illinois and going to Wartburg College in Waverly, Iowa, or anything that I've experienced in the life of the church or my family situations. I was like, I can't imagine what it must be to be a parent in a situation like that. And that has stuck with me all these years. I had a whole different appreciation for parents that have to raise their children under incredibly difficult situations that most of us could never even begin to imagine. And hopefully most of us would never experience. But the only thing that made that possible, that conversation, that trust, that relationship possible, was essentially these steps in different ways playing out in that encounter with that family. Because I was with them, because I had prayed for God to put me where I could talk to people who needed hope and needed encouragement and needed grace and needed love, I believe God orchestrated that meeting. I was then able to listen to them. I could listen to their story. I could hear the pain in the parents. I could still see the joy in these kids that despite having their hair shaved and being dressed like little boys, they were still safe. They were protected. They were loved, and they knew it. And that was a whole depth of relationship I never would have seen had I not put myself in the position of being in a relationship with somebody at a deep level. So, in the end, what I want to say is this. Our Christian faith is all about relationships. The very DNA of God, if you think about it, is relational. We talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, forever and always. You know, the promise of scriptures, wherever two or more are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. I encourage you, in whatever situation you may find yourself, right now, whether you're in a dorm, whether you're living in an apartment, when you're in class, you know, put this bless model into practice. Begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve with love, share your story, because in sharing your story, God's story is told. I wanna close with Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, because this is, after all, um, a teaching that's related to Acts. I've always loved this because it's really exactly what Christian community was intended to be from the very beginning and can still be today. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home they ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Do you hear all the evidence of everything that's up here on the screen in terms of the blessed model? They ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. When you care enough to bless others and go deep in their lives, it changes them, it changes you, it changes the world, and that's the way God always intended it to be.
Amen.